Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Howdy, Range listeners. It's Amy here. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast that's just launched on the Critical Frequency Network. It's called The 51, and it's being presented by Dame Magazine. In each season, they take a national issue and explore what it looks like at the local level. Season one is focused on food access, and we've partnered with several local reporters throughout the country to give us a picture of what that issue looks like in their communities. We're dropping this episode in the range feed because it's focused on a community in the West, San Diego, California, where several small ethnic markets are providing a solution to food insecurity that's often left out of the conversation around these topics and the policy discussions as well. The reporter for this story is Amy Roost, who you might recognize from Snap Judgment, and you might recognize the host as well. It's me. Give it a listen. See what you think. If you like it, subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts, give it a rating, and hopefully we'll see you on the next one. A new episode of Range will be out next week, focused on a rancher in Nevada who follows Old Testament rules for raising grass-fed beef and lamb. He's a pretty interesting guy, so tune in for that too. See you next time. Thanks. Welcome to The 51, Dame Magazine's podcast on what national issues look like for women at the local level. I'm your host, Amy Westervelt. We're tackling food deserts this season on The 51, and today I'm joined by Amy Roost, a freelance reporter in San Diego. You might recognize Amy's name and voice from her episode of Snap Judgment and the parallel story that ran in The New York Times. For this episode of The 51, Amy visited several ethnic markets in San Diego for a look at a less discussed solution to the food access question. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's right. As Fernando Bosco, a geography professor at San Diego State University, explained to me, the solution most often proposed for food deserts is to get grocery stores to open up in these neighborhoods. But ethnic markets are also a valid solution and perhaps more culturally appropriate in certain communities. Here's Fernando explaining that idea a bit more. Within the discussion of food deserts, the traditional understanding that what you need is a supermarket to 
fix the problem of food deserts, tends to ignore that you may have other locally available resources. And what we find in, in that case is that ethnic markets are an interesting option. In many of the neighborhoods that we worked in, what you have is a variety of very small corner stores. Uh, in the East Coast, they might be called bodegas. Here, you know, people call them ethnic markets. And one can tell that they're ethnic just simply because of the name. And mixed in with all that, they have sometimes bulk grains. Uh, many of them have a small produce section. Many of the ethnic markets that are of Mexican origin, at least in San Diego, have some kind of small meat counter. They are an interesting option to think about in terms of how, if one does not have access to a full-on supermarket or if bringing a, a full-service supermarket to a neighborhood is expensive, could we perhaps work with small ethnic markets to improve or widen their selection of food and at the same time make them appealing to not just the particular immigrant group that the store represents, but other people in the neighborhood. Just because then you have a supermarket in an area, the area might be now considered not a food desert in terms of the traditional definition, but you still may have more than 50% of the people in the neighborhood not being represented by that particular store, or they might not have the food they want. So that's that's one issue with relying so much on this outside solution with large investments coming to the neighborhood. That makes a lot of sense. And he's right. It's a topic you really don't hear that much about in the conversation about food deserts. Right. And it gets into other issues as well. For example, Maybe there's a market in your neighborhood that sells lots of Mexican products, but you're an immigrant from an entirely different part of the world. Here's Fernando again. You may have East African immigrants who may tell you that they, there is no sources of fresh food in their neighborhood, and they might walk by a small Hispanic or Mexican store that does have a produce section or a meat counter, and they might just ignore it, or they feel like they don't belong, or it might just be some of the food might be culturally inappropriate. It might be that, you know, they need halal meat and the particular Mexican market may not have it. So there are problems with ethnic markets, but there's also a lot of potential. Bringing a, a full-on supermarket is something that is expensive, takes time, and doesn't happen overnight. Right, of course. That reminds me of a conversation I had a long time ago where I talked to a man who's trying to start a community market in West Oakland, and he got into a little bit about how the standard model just is not suited to low-income communities. So like that model assumes that people shop once a week and they get all their groceries and they spend at least $100, and, and it also assumes that they're buying a particular mix of ingredients, and none of it works in most immigrant or low-income communities. But the big grocers have this template and they like to stick to it because it keeps their costs down. So what tends to happen is like they go into these communities and they just kind of throw up their hands and say, oh, stores aren't profitable here and they leave. Yeah, exactly. Fernando got into more detail about some of those stereotypes at play and the whole conversation about food deserts and some of the negative connotations of that term. The problem with the term food desert is 
what it does in terms of stigmatizing perhaps particular neighborhoods because people tend to associate today food deserts with unhealthy food, lack of food, or if there is food, some kind of junk food or processed food. There's this tendency to think then that people who live in that neighborhood as well are likely to consume unhealthy foods or that would be their preference. And so there is an unfortunate connection between the term food desert and a stigmatization of people and places, and they tend to go together. It doesn't take into account the fact that you may be close to a supermarket or a place that has food, but you may not be able to afford it. The food may not be culturally appropriate, and that tends to be the case more often when there are no supermarkets, but there are smaller stores that sell particular kinds of food in neighborhoods that tend to be diverse and uh, home to immigrants or refugees and other people who do not fit in our definition of the mainstream consumer. So we, again, are trying to move away from a definition of food access that is only based on distance, geographic distance. And we're trying to look at the ways in which people feel like they belong or don't belong in a neighborhood and whether if they have access to food, whether they feel comfortable buying food in certain places. It reminds me of another story I read recently in The Economist, basically saying in low-income communities, people just want to eat unhealthy food, and that's the problem. And it was pretty ugly and just seemed like it was missing a large piece of the equation. Exactly. And Fernando's colleague at San Diego State, Pascal Josart Marcelli, pointed out that if ethnic markets are being ignored in the conversations about food deserts, That means they're probably also being ignored in policy and funding conversations about food access. Ugh, great. I know. Here's Josart Pascal's explaining a bit more about that. Ethnic markets are actually very important in food deserts, in immigrant neighborhoods in particular. The way we define food desert is by looking at access to supermarkets. And there are many communities where there are no supermarkets, so they get labeled as food deserts. And we often describe them as void of any fresh and healthy food. While in reality, some of these communities do have a retail sector, do have a lot of small markets that are available. And some of these markets may be struggling. They may not necessarily have a huge variety of healthy food, but they're there and they are a resource in the community and they could potentially become even more important in uh, providing food security. So ethnic markets are very important, but a lot of time they are being ignored in the measurements uh, that we use to characterize food deserts, which is an issue because if they ignored in the measurements, then they also ignored by policymakers. So I visited a couple of these ethnic markets in the City Heights neighborhood in San Diego which has a very high concentration of North African and Middle Eastern immigrants. I wanted to see what sort of food they're carrying and what people in these communities think about the stores themselves. My name is Christian Bimpon. The name of my store is the African Caribbean Food Market. We carry African and Caribbean food products. These are authentic ethnic food products from Africa and also Jamaica and the Caribbeans. 
So Christian's store is doing exactly what Pascal and Fernando talked about. It provides a lot of ingredients that the local immigrant community uses and they wouldn't be able to find in a sort of typical American grocery store. A very unique store that they can get the products from anywhere else in the regular grocery stores. People feel homesick and they want to eat their own food that they are used they were used to before they immigrated down here so we are able to supply them with the products that they used to eat eat over here i heard a very similar thing from the owner of a nearby ethiopian market yeah my name is anwar abdullah and uh the business name is Addis Market, and we've been in the business for the last three years. There is like a four or five different kind of spices they cannot get in the big markets. Of course, the green coffee, beans, uh, they cannot get it in the big markets. That's super interesting. And it also reminds me, I know you mentioned when we talked before that some of these stores have had to start carrying some additional items, maybe stuff that they wouldn't normally carry, just to be able to accept food stamps or EBT or SNAP due to some new laws. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, that's right, Amy. In 2017, the U.S. Department of Agriculture began requiring stores that accept EBTs to carry at least three types of produce and other nutritional items. This is why we in California see baskets of fruit at almost every liquor and convenience store checkout now. In theory, this provides a consumer more access to nutritional items. That's, that's the hope anyway. But in practice, what you see is a lot of non-compliance, or you'll see convenience stores who carry hot dogs in order to comply with the protein requirement. Here's Christian explaining how it's impacted his store. The Department of Agriculture requires us in order to accept food stamps in our store. Dairy products such as milk, cheese, eggs, fruits, vegetables, meat, and fish, any other food products that is not processed. So it sounds like these markets are great and a really necessary part of addressing food insecurity. What's being done to make sure they stick around and can stay in business? Yeah, they really are an important piece of the puzzle. And actually, the food stamp thing is an important part of their survival. Here's Josart Pascal again to explain. Most of the research look at access in terms of distance. How far is the supermarket? But access also has a social and cultural component. And Looking at ethnic markets allows us to think about this social and cultural component that is extremely important. Um, that's why some studies sometimes show, oh, we've built a supermarket in this community, but we still have nutrition issues and we still have food insecurity. It's because we're not necessarily addressing the cultural and the social issues that are part of improving accessibility. Food stamps and EBT are really important in improving food security. They may be a little bit less important in addressing the problem of food deserts because they may not necessarily be able to use it if they live in a food desert. They would still have to access a store where they can use the EBT and so on. Many of these markets do accept EBT and participate in these programs. And in fact, these programs 
help them because without these programs, they would not have as many customers. So because many of the customers use EBT, that plays an important role in sustaining the small ethnic entrepreneur. The most common way that policymakers have tried to address food desert is by trying to attract large supermarkets. But I think that local policymakers could also be more effective in trying to support a local food system, providing them with technical assistance, loans, financial assistance to try to encourage them to provide more fresh and healthy food and to help them be more profitable and more successful in meeting the needs of the community. Sounds great to me. I read recently that there are more than 4 million recipients of food stamps in California alone. So I'd imagine accessing some of those consumers would help some of the smaller markets stay afloat. I know, right? There is also a new law in California that provides property tax incentives to homeowners of unoccupied properties. These owners agree to allow community gardens to be planted on their property. This could potentially scale up the output of community gardens, which has been a problem in the past. And then once they scale up, they can meet more of the demand in the community. But then the challenges become sustainability and food distribution to the local markets. Bosca and Josar Pascal and others are looking into some solutions for this as well. Thank you so much for bringing this story to us, Amy. It's, it's a really important part of the conversation, and it's definitely one that I haven't heard that much about. Thanks for having me. Also, cool name. Yeah, you too. <laughs> That's it for this episode of The 51. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss our next episode. And please drop us a rating or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. We love to get feedback, and it also helps us find listeners. Thanks. The 51 is presented by Dame Magazine and produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. I'm your host, Amy Westervelt. Our producer and musical composer is David Whited. There are print stories complementing this podcast season on the Dame Magazine website at damemagazine.com. That's D-A-M-E magazine.com. You can also support the podcast and various other projects that Dame is working on there by clicking the support link. And you can follow Dame across all social media channels at Dame Magazine. You can listen to The 51 everywhere you get your podcasts. And please remember to rate and review the podcast. It always helps us to find new listeners. If this is your first time tuning in, please check out other episodes in the season. We're going all across the country looking at food access from a variety of angles. Thanks for listening. See you next time.